You're listening to the Intentional Podcast by Ariet Hung and Karen Chung. Here we talk about intentional living and practical self-care. Hi everyone, welcome to the Intentional Podcast. I'm Ariet and I'm Karen. And on this episode, we'll be doing a panel and we're focusing on Asian American and Pacific Islanders. And we're going to be addressing the really important topic of just Asian racism and also how we can be intentional about addressing education and advocacy around it. So before we get started, we just want to emphasize that this isn't to shame anyone, but rather to educate each other so that we can work together to be anti-racist. We've all had racial tendencies, and it's important to acknowledge them and then learn from them and to grow from them. So to start off, we're going to be introducing our panelists. We're really lucky to be able to interview some ladies today that are Asian American and our dear friends. So everyone... Feel free to go around and share your name, um, your profession or what you study or do, and your cultural ethnic background. My name is Carissa. I'm, I'm about to go into my third year of nursing, and I also have a small business on the side, and my ethnic background is Chinese. Yeah, uh, I'm Tori. I am a makeup artist, and um, I work in retail. My ethnic background is Chinese, and my parents are from Hong Kong specifically. Hello, my name is Eunice. I just graduated from Ryerson New Media and I'm Hong Kong Chinese. And yeah, I'm really happy to be here today. And I'm Karen, one of your hosts for this podcast. So I'm a registered early childhood educator and I'm from Hong Kong. I'm actually an immigrant. So I actually came here when I was six. All right. So let's dive on into the questions. We're going to start off talking about just the experience of childhood growing up as Asian Americans. So the first question is, how did the way you grew up affect your views on racism? The first thing I thought about is, I don't know if other people can relate to me, but I grew up in a community that was predominantly Asian. Like, I would say 5% of my high school was not Asian. So I would say I was very sheltered and I've never really had to experience like racism against Asians before. So I guess now growing up um, and seeing how I grew up, it's just really overwhelming. But that's like the first thing I thought of. And I think a lot of people could relate if they've lived in communities that is predominantly their own race. Yeah, I definitely agree with what Chris was saying. But I think for me, the major difference is where I grew up, though it was predominantly Asian, a lot of the people who were Asian weren't super comfortable with the fact that they were Asian. So a lot of people were trying to, I guess, embrace whiteness or shielding away from their own cultural backgrounds. So because of that, there was actually a lot of racial tendencies that went on even amongst the Asian community towards each other because we were extremely ignorant and unaware of the racism that surrounds the Asian community. I grew up uh, predominantly in a white uh, city. So it's definitely been like very interesting because like I kind of like look back because right now, of, of course, like there's more like education in the media and everything. And I kind of realized that my experience was indeed, you know, people didn't treat me as people treat me differently because of my race. And I didn't really acknowledge that until like very recently, actually. Um, so yeah, it's been like very uh, interesting because uh, yeah, because like growing up, I you know, like, it's, like, I face, like, racism, a, even as, like, a young kid, um, there wasn't, like, a lot of education uh, when it comes to, like, racism. A lot of things were kind of, like, uh, I do agree with, like, what Karen said in terms of, like, you know, being Asian is, like, that whiteness, but I feel like, you know, there was, like, this glamorized whiteness that, like, 
you know, you kind of like want to, you know, fit in and stuff. And I really felt that like growing up, because if you're the only or oh, one of like the only Asian kids, then it's kind of like a very, it's just, it's just like a thing that just kind of like happens because you want to fit in with the rest of the squad, I would say, or the rest of the crew. So you just have like that tendency, but I felt it like a lot stronger, even when I was like a kid. Thanks for sharing. So our next question is, did you ever experience racism growing up? I think for me, yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned earlier on, I am an immigrant. So for me, when I first came to Canada, I remember going to school and having people make fun of me because I had an accent or because I couldn't speak English properly. And then in high school, I remember it was really particular incident where I was in drama class and there was a student, we were playing a game and then he started kind of slanting his eyes on purpose to make fun of Asians. So I think these were two really prime examples of racism that I personally faced, especially as a Chinese Canadian growing up. Yeah, I can totally understand understand and relate to the whole slanting eyes thing I think that's one of the first things that I didn't really understand when I was a kid and I was like why are they doing that to me um but my parents came here when they were younger so I guess they kind of adapted towards the Canadian ideology of taking over and and getting whitewashed in a way quote-unquote um so we never even spoke Chinese at home so I wasn't really kind of in that Asian household that's typically what we see with our friends and families and stuff like that and so for me to get teased by other people for the way that my eyes looked or for me to have like my lunch poked at and stuff like that, it was really heartbreaking because my parents never told me that that was wrong or what racism was. Yeah, I could definitely like agree to that because like I was always told to like stay silent in these situations and like to like avoid conflict. So even when I uh, were to like share with my parents like my experience, they wouldn't really like relate to that because they're like, why are you worried about like these kind of like small little issues? Like you just ignore it and stuff. And it was kind of like the world was kind of like automatically against you in some sort of way. And it's, I feel like it really deeply affected my mental health. So I actually switched schools because of this like reoccurring issue actually that like not a lot of people like know about. I feel like to this day, maybe like two of my friends know about the issue. Very few people know about what happened, but I had a group of guys who would always like poke fun of me because like I'm Asian and there was like a lot of like harassment growing up too, like mostly verbal, I would say, but it affected my mental health because it's like I would wake up go to school have these like repeated behaviors and it's like a daily thing and I wouldn't escape and I didn't know how to escape I kind of resorted to like just like changing my environment and yeah but it was a lot better so uh but I feel like um yeah I feel like growing up it was a lot harder for me than I expected and it, it was like a lot to acknowledge until now so yeah thanks everyone for sharing your experience for sure like these experiences of racism towards Asians growing up is really heartbreaking and I just want to validate that experience is very real and really um, difficult so for those of you listening um, know that you're not alone in what you're going through and just as a follow-up question for those of you that grew up in the late 90s or early 2000s did any part of like growing up in that I guess era um, affect your views on racism for me I feel like there's not a lot of like representation so you know even like in school and still to this day like when I open up my textbook I see like mainly like white white people white history uh history right now is pretty like whitewashed um 100 even now and I know that like education systems aren't really like changing it uh growing up it was like whenever there was like Asian in our textbook or anything about Asian history I would just be like the first one that like people would just like look at I'll have a lot of like looks at me like as soon as they mentioned the word Asian yeah it, it was definitely 
definitely uh, very interesting. And I think right now, kids, they have a little bit more of representation in the media than uh, we all did, like, growing up. So, you know, it's like if we see, like, you know, Crazy Rich Asian, Shanxi, like, I feel like other generations uh, from now on kind of have that kind of representation. And I feel like that's, you know, all kids will, like, see that and they would be, they'd have, like, some sort of, like, person to like look up. Thanks for sharing that. I think I definitely can resonate with that too, right? Growing up um, in the late 90s, what we saw on TV is just like everything in mainstream media, all the actors were white. And even though you could relate to like maybe some of their experiences, you're like, no one looks like me. And it is refreshing nowadays. We are seeing a little bit more Asian representation, but is um, there's still a lot of work to do. So moving on to the next question, do you think that those that grew up when we did and those that are growing up now are educated on racism differently? I definitely think that us and the people who are growing up now we're definitely a very progressive generation and we're a lot more educated, I would say, and the conversations surrounding racism are talked about more than they probably were before. But I do think also that everyone's growing up a little bit more overly sensitive in a way. I don't know the terminology or what term to use, but cancel culture is very prevalent. And I think people just take every little thing and nitpick it, even if it's not on their own race. Um, people just always have something to say. And a majority of the time when they're nitpicking like that, they're not actually saying something right, um, especially if it's not on their own race and they're talking about someone else's race. Um, oftentimes what they're saying is not correct and other people of that race do not agree. Um, so I definitely think although we're very progressive now and we're talking about things more, it does come with its downside of people being very sensitive and yeah I mean when I was growing up um I was always taught that Asians were seen as this kind of like weak and silent and mute community um that if we were ever to get confronted with something or if someone makes fun of you you know to be quiet and to just accept it and and not get any into any other confrontation or don't argue anyone about it because you don't know what they would do to you or or whatever, right? And I think it's really inspiring to see um, the generation that's growing up now. And I can even think of like my little sisters and my little brothers. Um, we're taught and we're told to, you know, use your voice to speak about these things, whether it be about your race or whether it be um, about something else, like use your voice because your voice counts. Um, and I think that's a really, really great way that we're moving in a direction where we're allowed to stand up for ourselves and we're allowed to put up a fight if for something that that is wrong. Yeah, I think right now media is very powerful. So like, you know, even like sharing things on social media, people making like personal projects on like, you know, API and people like being able to like support each other and small businesses. And uh, I kind of felt it a lot because through uh, our generation, because we have like Discord, we have Clubhouse, we have like all these like platforms that we can connect to each other and discuss these issues and even this panel itself like I think media is very powerful and we even have like protests as well and uh, people being vocal on TikTok people being vocal on Instagram and and stuff like this does spread like wildfire but yeah I think I definitely can confirm that like cancer culture is a big thing and being able to educate people is very, very like, you know, it's, it's, it's like pretty important, like being able to like educate people and kind of know like the like the issues about like cancel culture and stuff. So yeah, I think I definitely agree with what you guys were all saying. I remember growing up in a generation where though 
we did talk about racism, we were a lot more racially ignorant than we are compared to the younger generation now. People didn't speak up about things as much. Or like what Tori was saying, as Asians, we were taught to be quiet. We were taught to listen and behave and all that stuff. But nowadays, you see so many people actually vocally speaking up about social issues, about racism. And I think that's really, really beautiful. I also think with the access to social media, people are starting to see the truths of racism instead of what textbooks say. They're not being fed with the lies that we had growing up. And I think that's also really powerful because it encourages people to actually speak up, to use their voices and to make a difference. And it's really, really encouraging to see so many teenagers now use their platforms, use the space that they have to educate others and to talk about all these social issues in a way that we never had the opportunity to do. And we never did growing up either. Uh, Moving on to the next section of questions, and we're going to be talking about career. So one question that we have is, do you think that your current profession or industry is racist or is built off systemic racism? For instance, um, the fact that it might be predominantly white. I think that media has always been predominantly white because if, if you think about it, a lot of voices in film and a lot of like films that uh, do speak on like racial issues are like whitewashed, I would say, um, you know, in terms of like, uh, like, if I can put some examples on, I think to all the boys that loved before, I think that's pretty like whitewashed and like uh, for like what I can know and that I know and stuff. Uh, like sure, there's like Asian representation, which is like really good. Like I love that the main character is um, Asian, but I feel like that uh, for like many films and for like a lot of uh, stuff in the media, it is the voices are like mainly white, uh, even like behind the scenes. Uh, and stuff and even for crazy rich Asians I do think that it is it's really great representation like you know like having Asian in media but uh, there's not like really like they kind of cut out like you know like people having like Singaporean accents and yeah and the actors were like mainly uh, American that's what I've noticed and not really like Singaporean I would say so uh, they had like some like Singaporean stuff I would say like they had like some slang and stuff in the beginning of the film like for like a scene I remember uh, even in like media there is yeah it is like mainly like white dominated even in school it is and there's always like a hierarchy of uh people who are yeah people who are like in leadership roles are like predominantly white yeah that's something that like I have like noticed and yeah as someone who is like Asian it's a little bit like trickier in terms of like you know being able to like kind of fit into like getting into like media at all so Mm -hmm. it definitely makes sense um like given your industry of being in new media and you've probably seen a lot of um, examples right where it's like good that you see Asian representation, but in terms of like mainstream media, there's still a long way to go in terms of what you're seeing and um, still then to also um, just continuing to um, work in your field and like seeing more of this is going to be really important as you continue on in your career. So moving on to the next question, when have you experienced racism in your field of work? So I've been really fortunate to not experience it too much um in hospital places especially in the pandemic no one can really tell what race you are with mask face shield like a cap cover um but I did have a patient once call me 
exotic looking and I guess I'll touch on that word later but it was very uncomfortable and my mom has also shared many experiences with me she's also a nurse um, working in downtown Toronto so if she's experienced it a lot I for sure will and usually um, it has to do with the older population in hospitals a lot of them have dementia oftentimes they're respectful but when they're having like an episode of forgetfulness that's when the racial remarks will come out um, mm-hmm. because, you know, we they were taught to not say those types of things in our day and age, but if they go back to how they grew up and I guess when their filter's not on, that's when they say those racial remarks. So it really goes to show like the difference between like the older generation and ours now. Mm, thanks for sharing. I think I've talked to some other healthcare professionals as well, and I think this is a common experience as well. So moving on to the next section, we're going to be talking about culture and ethnicity. Were you ever ashamed of your culture growing up? Definitely for me. um, I think as an Asian American, we've all gone through words like, dang, like, why can't I have grown up white? (laughs) Like, so much easier to, you know, bring a sandwich to school and like not have people make fun of you or to look normal, quote unquote, right? To the point where I didn't even want people to hear me speak any Chinese words. Like, I'm not very versed in Cantonese at all, but I do know, you know, chow fun and stuff like that, right? But I didn't even want to say those words out out loud in front of people because I didn't want them to know that I was Asian. Um, as sad as that sounds, um, and I wanted to be white or um, white sounding so bad that when my mom and I would go out with each other, we would make sure to speak loudly in front of other people in English so that they would know that we're not that type of Asian, you know? Mm. Um, and so that really heartbreaking for me, um, looking back on it now. I think I had like a lot of arguments with my parents because like, you know, they always like spoke Cantonese and at home and I didn't really understand why they spoke Cantonese at home. Uh, and I didn't, re- I didn't really like value it at all because I would just like speak English back. But the reason why is because like, kind of like same as what Tori said about like, you don't really want people to, you kind of want us like, like, you know, kind of like be white and like not really speak your language uh, because like, you know, ha- be, you know, having a close proximity to whiteness was considered very ideal, I would say, in a society, especially growing up in a white place, actually. Yeah, like, so yeah, and I know like it was kind of hard for me because like, yeah, I would see like, yeah, like I would have like friends who did make fun of me for like speaking Cantonese, like whenever my parents, they make fun of my parents and make fun of like a lot of things growing up, you know, even the way I looked. So yeah, I feel like for future generations, I hope that they'll be able to like have it hopefully like a lot better because of media and everything. I hope that they'd be able to like be proud of themselves. Let's follow up to that question. If you found it hard to embrace your cultural background growing up. How did you work towards changing it? Yeah, I think for me, I definitely struggled with it. I think largely because of the bullying I faced due to immigration. I remember as a child, I would be so ashamed to speak in Cantonese to the point where I wouldn't even speak it at home. I would avoid the language at all costs because I was bullied for not speaking enough English. Or as I got older, I would try to act a certain way, dress a certain way. Even the way I put makeup on, it was done solely to make myself look more white or to fit in with the North American culture. And that was something that I really struggled with growing up, where it was like, okay, I'm Chinese, and that's cool. 
it's okay to be Chinese. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, I should be proud of it because there are so many beautiful things that come from being Chinese. And I think for me, I guess what I did to change that was, it was just a process of growth. It was a process of just realizing that I shouldn't be ashamed of where I grew up. I shouldn't be ashamed of where I'm from because there is there are so many amazing things about it. And if people are going to judge me and bully me for that, then that's on them, not on me. They should not have an issue with my ethnicity. And if they do, that just shows that they are racist and that's kind of merely it. Um, yeah, I would say like 100% like same as Karen in terms of, you know, like being able to like, because like, you know, growing up, I also like did try to like dress and act a certain way that would be like more like acceptable around my peers around me. So I really like resonate with that as well. I think definitely going to Asia, going to Singapore for exchange, um, being actually making close Asian friends. So for example, like uh, joining my CCF uh, and experiencing the food, uh, getting to like normal Asian culture, I discovered what ramen was and like, um, yeah, so that, that was pretty, that was pretty, that was a really interesting experience. Um, but I think it kind of made me like a little bit disappointed because I was like, I wish I had like the GTA experience where I had, I wish I grew up with more diversity around me, but I feel like my experience has definitely like taught me um, certain things. So I kind of like, I think the first step is like self-acknowledge yourself that like you didn't grow up, like kind of like, why did you grow up that way? Like, just like being like, you know, this is the reason why I'm like this. This is the reason why I thought like this. Now I just kind of like want to change it. So I think, yeah, as I said before, kind of acknowledging that first and then kind of like working yourself to like kind of change that racial bias that you have is really important and being able to educate yourself, like talking to people, um, talking to your parents more, you know, and yeah, now I'm like learning Chinese. So, you know, thanks for sharing that both of you. All right. So following up to these questions to give a more positive spin, what are the things that make you proudest to be Asian American identifying? I think there's many things to be proud of to be AAPI, but the two things that I thought of right away was that I'm the product of two very hardworking and resilient parents. Like my parents are immigrants. They came to Canada with like next to nothing and basically started all over and they struggled through so much and like I'm really proud of them and I'm really proud to be here and be able to be in Canada and yeah, it, that's like one of the proudest things to be AAPI. And then the other one is that I have thousands of years of history in my culture. Like the Chinese culture goes like way back. There's so much to learn. There's so many things that I don't even know yet about um, my culture, but like everything about it, the history, all the food, we have such delicious food. Like everyone loves Chinese food, yet they're so racist towards Asians. Like how can you eat our food yet be so mean to us? Then don't eat a dumpling. Like <laughs> um, We have amazing food and amazing culture and I'm very proud of my parents. Yeah, for sure. Like Asian food and Asian art and all these things. I feel like they're so amazing and it's like in North America these things or any like white predominant country they really like Asian food or Asian aspects of Asian culture but there's a lot of racism and that's a perfect segue actually into our next section where we're going to be talking about just how we've been seeing racism growing up and also especially now throughout the pandemic and how we can address it. So my first question for this section is, 
With the pandemic and the growing rates of hate crimes against racism lately, do you feel like your safety is at risk? I think I'm more so worried about the older generation, and I'm not sure if this there's a specific reason why the older generation was getting picked on. Um, it is continually getting picked on and, and targeted, um, but you know they're, they're picking on the people who cannot defend themselves the best, who have worked so hard. Um, in our lives, and, and like all of you said, you're your parents. Um, if not, you are our immigrants. And so, all those years working hard to provide a better life for us here, um, and finally getting that to be struck down and to be beaten in the street while, while no one does anything to protect you, right? And I think that's really scary for me because I think of my parents and I think of my grandparents and how how am I supposed to be okay with them going and doing mundane activities outside, like going grocery shopping with whatever we can do in the pandemic right now without being scared someone's going to harass them verbally or or physically. Um, and so that's that's been a very big worry on my heart. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think, you know, that's a very valid concern and it is really heartbreaking and disheartening to see the elders and just the older generations being targeted when they can't protect themselves as much. And so as young people, what do you think are good ways to respond to these hate crimes when we see them? Well, I think the first thing is social media. Social media is such a powerful tool and we can use it for some amazing things like speaking on hate crimes. I remember when the six Asian women got murdered at the Atlanta shooting, a lot of people were speaking about it on social media. I honestly think that less people spoke up, the result would have been the same. I think first of all is to speak up. We need to speak up. We have social media for a reason. It's really powerful and we need to use that for our good. We need to speak up on these hate crimes because there is something really powerful about speaking up on these incidents. And I do think that when we use social media, there is a difference. Like look at the BLM movement, but also as young people or allies, use that privilege that you have to help the elderly. Like Tori was saying, so many of the people that are targeted are elders. So check on them even. Or I know in California, there was a movement where there was actually a bunch of young people who were helping the elderly cross the street and walking with the elderly to protect them. And that's something else we can do. Use the privilege that we have, whether it's because we are young and abled body or whether as allies, because you are not Asian and you are not a person of color to make a difference, to help out so that there is a stop to these hate crimes and that people who are being targeted are able to be protected. Thanks, Karen. I think those are all really great points that you've made. And I guess building off on that, what are some practical steps that you think that you could do to end or decrease racism? I think this question can be overwhelming at times because you might think, you know, I'm just one person, like, what can I do to end racism? And I do think that unless parents teach their children how not to be racist, people will always end up being racist because of our society's norms and cultures. Um, And the only way we can really change bias and racism is to change the culture. So we need to change like what's acceptable in society. For example, make it normal to speak a different language in public or to have different foods that you bring to to school or to have different customs like we need to educate um, and being Asian, it's a privilege to educate other people about our culture and our customs and have these things normalized in our society's culture. And I think that will change biases and 
decrease racism. But like Karen said, it's also very important to use your voice to decrease it. I don't think racism will ever end. And maybe that's really pessimistic for me to say, um, but I think it'll always be prevalent. But we can work together and you can use your voice to decrease racism. Yeah, very valid points, Carissa. I guess to follow up on that, when it comes to seeing racism now, do you think it's been something normalized in society? And I guess, like, have you also seen it normalized even internally for yourself? Absolutely. I think there's so many things that are done towards Asians that the media doesn't report or people just kind of sweep under the rug, like the whole Asianized thing. Nobody really talks about it but Asians because people don't see it as racist. I remember when the fox eye trend was a huge thing last year and so many people were trying to justify it being like, well, no, my eyes are just like this. It's just makeup. I'm not trying to be racist. So therefore it can't be racist because I'm not trying. But that's kind of the point. You're not trying, but it's still racist. And if someone tells you it's racist, you need to understand that it is. And it's become so normalized that people can't even see that. Or even like if you look at Asian hate crimes, anti-Asian hate crimes have been going on for years. Has the pandemic made it worse? A hundred percent. But has it been going on since way before that? Absolutely. But the thing is, it took this pandemic and honestly, this year, this crazy increase where people are dying, people are being stabbed, people are literally are going to the ICU because of these incidents, that there's actual somewhat coverage. And it still took so long for there to be any news coverage of this. So yeah, I do think it has been normalized because nobody talks about it. And when Asians do try to fight back, there's so many people who try to argue and say that it's not. Agreed. Agreed. And I think it's it's something that has always been there, but I think definitely has gotten worse. Um, you think of Trump, right? Um, he led a whole nation, led in quotes. And the amount of people who agreed with him and who justified and to this day justify calling coronavirus the China virus and people who don't see that how insulting that is, is it's just so ignorant. And, and it makes me so angry that, you know, if I'm walking down the street and someone stops me and is like, oh, China virus, China virus, because I look Asian and I am Asian, it's that's racist. And and going off what Karen said too, right? It doesn't matter the intention that you have, let's say for the fox eye trend or, or wearing a chainsaw to a Halloween party, right? It's it's how it's taken. And if someone from that race says, hey, you're being racist and this is hurtful, you need to take it as that and apologize. And that's one thing that I feel like a lot of people who are now keyboard warriors on the internet don't see and justify themselves as that. So I think this is very, very internalized, actually, in terms of because like, you know, growing up, we're also told to like stay silent, as like mentioned before. Um, But like we're also seen as like model minority for like some sort of like reason that like we make like this amount of money. People are very easy to associate stereotypes with Asians and minorities as well. So, for example, like uh, I'm going to say like, you know, when Crazy Rich Asians got released, people automatically assumed that like all Asians uh, were rich or something. And that's really, really untrue. Like there's a lot of uh, things that go behind the scenes and Asians aren't really offered like high, high positions, I would say, um, compared to like their white counterparts or, but yeah, because it's so normalized, uh, a lot of us like don't see it, which is like really sad. And a lot of us, a lot of people compare our experience to like other experiences and, 
our experience is like very different. So you shouldn't be comparing Asian issues with this kind of issues. Oh, your issue is not that bad because this issue is even worse. And then we also like want to fit so close to like, even growing up, a lot of us mentioned that we did want to fit close to like whiteness. So there's this internal thing that we just have, this internal racism. Yeah, thanks for sharing all of that. Those examples are definitely things that I've seen myself. And you're right that like, there's a lot of just internalized and normalized racism against Asians as well as just building on stereotypes and like even when you watch the media it's like the Asian character they only play like the nerdy or like the awkward character like they don't play a main character they're not like super relatable until I guess like more recently which is refreshing but there's still a lot of work to do and on, on top of that, too, like sometimes people think it's positive. They're like, oh, you know, when they say, oh, you look exotic or they fetishize Asian women, like they think that's a compliment, but it's really not. And so um, just speaking up on these things is really important. So I guess building off on that, what do you say to people when they say, oh, like, I don't see color? Like, what would your response be? Well, I think the phrase I don't see color is racist. The thing is, color does exist. There are people who are Black, there are people who are Asian, even Asians on their own. We're not all one skin tone. We are, we have different skin colors too. If we look at Southeast Asians, Eastern Asians, our skin color is completely different. So when you say that, you're pretty much saying, okay, well, I'm just going to completely ignore that in a way where you're saying, okay, whether you are Black, whether you are Asian, whether you are white, you are the same. But because we aren't treated the same, you can't say you don't see color. Because when you say you don't see color, you're also saying, I don't see your struggles. I don't see the struggles that you're facing because of your color. So even though oftentimes the phrase, I don't see color, isn't meant to be racist, it actually is extremely racially ignorant. And it completely ignores the struggles that people of color do face on a regular basis. For sure. So moving on to the next section we're going to be talking about how to be intentionally an ally with Asians so what are some general tips and advice that you have for those that want to be allies with the Asian American community oh sorry so I think one of the first things is to speak up if you see racism on the streets then call it out as a white person specifically you have way more privilege than we do than black people do because you won't get attacked for speaking up about racism the same way that we would. So when you see it on the streets, you need to speak up. And then if you see Asians talking about it on social media, you need to join in on this conversation, not by trying to speak over them, but agreeing with them and amplifying their voices. Another thing is educate yourself. Look at resources. There's so many out there. The Intentional actually posted a blog post on Asian racism, which we will link down below that you guys can look more. And there's also a bunch of other amazing resources on social media that we will also link for you guys to check out that talk a lot about AAPI hate and talk about how to be an ally. So look at those stuff and then do your part, educate yourself, and then continue to speak up. And this isn't a one-time thing either. Continue to do it, continue to educate yourself and continue to grow so that we do see racism and that we do see everyone uniting together to speak up about the hate that people face, whether it's Asians, whether it's, or even, or Black people or Indigenous people or people in the Latinx community. Speak, use your voice, educate yourself and speak up about it. So why do you think it's so important for people of other races to help speak up about AAPI hate? I think it's really 
important because in a way, if you don't speak up and you don't share your views and you don't stand up to other races, it sends the message that you agree with what's happening. If you see an old Asian woman on the street being attacked and you just walk away, you're sending the message that you completely agree that she should be attacked because of her race. And I think a lot of people don't speak up or don't use their platform to speak on issues on racism is because they're scared to speak out and they're scared of being canceled for speaking out. But like, why should we be scared to speak out about people being racially profiled and hate crimes? Because if you're scared about getting canceled for speaking out, maybe you should reevaluate your priorities because if one person cancels you for that, that's their problem. Like you should be speaking out about racism. And also one day that could be you, you never know. And you would want someone to speak out and help you and your loved ones. Yeah, I think absolutely everything Krista said, but also adding on to that's also, there's only so much one race can do. When Asians are the only ones speaking about ABI hate or the black community are the only ones speaking about the BLM movement, then the rest of the world is gonna ignore it because nobody else is fighting with them or fighting for them. The more people speak up, the more of a difference that's going to make. Yeah, I definitely agree with like um, Girl Carissa and Karen. I do think that we need to like make this like um, community and this like shield and to definitely like stand up and like help others, especially when there's something wrong in the world. Like we all like want to like improve like the world. And if we like, if we all work together and to like, improve like one goal, it definitely like will like help the situation. And yeah, I think definitely becoming like an ally and like, kind of like educating yourself is pretty like important and yeah and then all right so let's talk a little bit about definitions so in AAPI terminology what are your thoughts on the term ethnic or oriental so like I said before ever since I was I would say in grade nine I've heard or people have said that I've looked exotic And I have a huge issue with that word. When I was younger, I obviously didn't really know what that meant. Like in grade nine, when someone would quote unquote compliment me and call me exotic, I had no idea how to respond to that. But now that I've learned more about the word, it makes me so uncomfortable. And it's blatantly racist because even if you meant it as a compliment, it's really not because it's a term used to describe something that's not native to the place where it's found or it also means mysteriously different or unusual Um, and by using the term you're stating that Caucasian characteristics are the norm and you're essentially saying that oh you're only pretty you're pretty but just for an Asian you know you're saying that my beauty does not cover the norms and there are no norms of beautiful and it's also usually a term used for inanimate objects. So it's really objectifying for people to use the word exotic. And I think a lot of people don't know about the troubles of using the word exotic. Like just recently, I was listening to another podcast. I won't say which YouTuber, but they're very popular. And on the podcast, she's Asian and they had a white guest speaker and he was describing his perfect girl and he was throwing around the word exotic a lot and it just really troubled me that she's Asian yet she didn't say anything 
So I definitely think if you're being called exotic, you should definitely speak up and say that it's not actually a compliment. Yeah, 100%. Like the term ethnic, oriental, exotic, they're all racist terminology used to describe people. I think it honestly just goes back to how messed up the world standard of beauty is. People seem to think now, oh, if you're exotic, you're considered pretty because you have these mixes of all these different other races and because you look unique. Other times when you're saying, oh, if you look ethnic, you're basically pointing out, okay, you look like a racial group. But instead of saying, oh, yeah, you look like you're a Chinese person, the most nonchalant, right, wherever you're saying, oh, you look ethnic. That just turns it racist. And we talked about this briefly earlier. I believe someone brought it up. But what are your thoughts on that thing that we know as the model minority myth? So I did a whole like search. I did some research on the model minority myth because I've only actually really learned about it this year. Like I said, I feel like I was really sheltered, so I didn't really know many terms. And from my research, it's historically been used to suggest that there's no need for government intervention in socioeconomic disparities between certain racial groups. So in this case, model minority is usually um, said about Asians. And this term is not only destructive to Asians, but also other marginalized groups too, because it argues that racism can be overcome by hard work and success. Basically saying that, you know, Asians are successful because of their hard work and other marginalized groups, you guys aren't successful because you don't work hard enough, like work hard enough, the government doesn't have to step in and help you. This term just like pits marginalized groups against each other and possible reasons as to why Asian Americans were used by America. So it kind of like started in America, this whole term. It started from like this newspaper article saying the success stories of Asians, and it kind of just snowballed into the model minority thing. And Asians were kind of chosen because back then, the population of Asians in America was quite small, and the view of Asian Americans were less of a threat to America than other minorities were. And there was also a general lack of political activism from Asians in America. So that's kind of why Asians were predominantly like chosen for this term. So it's definitely a term that was made to benefit America and the no need for government intervention. And it's also a big problem because it, it's a term for Asians that understates the achievements that we have worked hard for. Um, because it's like, oh, like you're a model minority, like you have it easy, like blah, 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 blah. So there's like so many issues with this term. Yeah, I think aside from that too, like I also feel like the model minority myth now in a sense is used to undermine the struggles that Asians face because we're the model minority, we're considered superior to certain minority groups because we work harder or we're smarter, yaddy, yaddy, yeah. And None of this is true. Asians face struggles too. Yes, our struggles are different from other races, but that doesn't mean our struggles are less. Our struggles are less important. I feel like nowadays the media likes to use the model minority myth to basically try to shut Asians up and try to tell them what you're going through isn't important or you're overreacting. What you're going through isn't that big of a deal because look at you, you're Asian. You get into the best schools. You get the best jobs. You have this and this and this. Not only is that not true, there's also the fact that Asians or really any POCs have to work 
10 times harder than a white person to succeed in life because they are put down from this predominantly white community. When you put the model minority myth into context, it's pretty much using it to, yeah, like undermine Asian struggles and try to put them down and bully them to shut up. Yeah, I really like felt like what like you both said about like the model minority myth. It's really, really damaging, uh, especially if you don't like really fit the mold of like, you know, being Asian, being good at math, being like, um, even like being like a creative Asian into the arts. And I felt like that was always like kind of like looked down upon by like society because it's automatically kind of been like, oh, why is this Asian not doing like, you know, something in like math, science. I feel like it's really damaging. And I feel like people within my own community, within the Asian community, I feel like it also like makes me kind of like be like, have like a negative view of myself because I'm both Asian and, and, and I'm creative. So that's just something that like I have always faced growing up, which is, you know, not fitting the standard and getting like weird uh, looks because I don't fit the standard. All right. So moving on to the next section, we're going to be talking about trends. So the first question here is, how would you differentiate between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation? So appreciation is when someone seeks to understand and learn about someone's culture in an effort to like learn more and broaden their perspective and connect with other people cross-culturally. Um, but if you're using someone's symbols of culture for your own benefit, for example, I don't know if you guys remember I don't know how many people it was, but they tried to make um, a Mahjong set that was like completely just so different from Mahjong. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, what is this? That is a perfect example of a cultural appropriation because you're using it for your own monetary benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also if you're using symbols of someone's culture inappropriately or not for its intended use or if you don't have the proper knowledge and understanding then that's cultural appropriation and it can also lead to negative stereotyping if you do that not only is it offensive but it can give the wrong message to a lot of people i just want to pop in a quick side note about that mahjong set just as an fyi for everybody they are still in business and (gasps) i don't think anything has changed wait i thought (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> no, last, last time I checked, like, I think their Instagram, their social media accounts, or whatever, were taken down for a little bit. But like, and then I saw about a month after, they were still in business. And they didn't really just clarify anything. They were just trying to justify their actions, too. Mm, so unfortunate. That's so upsetting. I'm sorry. And they were also charging like $300. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. magic sets are not that expensive in real life. You can buy them like for cheap in Chinatown and still get like the high quality but you're also supporting local Chinese businesses while you're exactly, at it. So right? for yeah. those of you who want to get mahjong sets, support a Chinese business and don't get that mahjong set, please. Yeah. That's so upsetting. I think it's hard because no one can legally do anything because mm-hmm. it's not like mahjong is copyrighted yeah. or patented. So no one can take like legal actions against it, which is really sad. Yeah, and sadly, when you have money, like that overpowers everything, even racism. Sorry, I was. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like what Carissa was saying about just the difference between cultural appropriation and appreciation is really important because, like, I think a lot about, for instance, like Asian food. So, as we know, like, there are buffets out there that try to do like Asian food and I feel like when you go to those kind of restaurants like when you eat it um, for people who are Asian descent like we know that the food is not authentic it's just like 
you know, they think if you add a little bit of soy sauce or a little bit of like teriyaki sauce, it suddenly makes it Asian. Um, and they make everything generalized. They'll put sushi and like Chinese food together and be like, they'll just call it Asian as a blanket statement. Um, I don't know if we can call it fully like appropriation, but it's not like the deep appreciation of the culture. Like it's more just like, oh, we're adapting it so it tastes good for North America. But a difference would be like if you went to a restaurant where, yes, the chefs might be white, but they have like traveled to that country. They tried to learn the language. They really tried to adopt like the culinary standard. And that's a big difference, right? And I think a lot about that when I watch cooking shows, when I see like people of other cultures cooking Asian food, and I see that as more respectful. Anyway. Okay, so the next question that we want to ask is, in your opinion, do you think it's cultural appropriation to wear symbols or patterns that looks like it specifically belongs to another culture? So an example of that could be those crop tops that we've seen with dragons all over that are sold on sites like Shein and whatnot. I think that if anything, it is kind of like a way of colonization, actually. So the thing is, for example, if a dragon has a lot of meanings to it, right? It's, you know, it it has like so many, like so much history to it and stuff. It's really normalized to like wear dragons because it's really normalized in society. I don't know if this is like a better example or a good example but because it's so normalized it might not be like as relatable but like yeah so this dragon means a lot it's like in history but like once white people or people in the mainstream media start wearing that dragon it becomes a trend and then that meaning of the dragon is like lost for example same thing with um, you know society also using you know the yin and yang symbol as like an aesthetic people don't really know the real meaning of it as an example and people because it's so normalized it kind of erases almost to the point where it's like people don't really care at this point which is really sad and oh she and steals a lot of artwork so i'll, I'll say that but a, they have this q pal uh, so what they did was that they they made their own twist into it so they added some like uh they added like cut into it to make it look more aesthetic they added it to like make it look sexy so this also takes the real meaning of the the cupel that like you know women would wear but now they, the meaning is kind of like erased already and it is to benefit white people and to benefit like that trend um, there's a lot of companies who do that for example like what was mentioned before was my drug set as well a lot of things to this to today's society is borrowed or stolen sorry actually use the word stolen from another culture without any credit yeah that's that's my take on um things being culturally misappropriated i think for me going off of what eunice was saying because just like she was saying um it's so normalized now when you see things like yin and yang symbol I remember growing up and seeing like a bunch of people wearing that just for fun not even really knowing what it means or people who have parties with like wearing patty hats and stuff like that like Asian inspired parties like I feel like there's a fine line between appropriation and appreciation talking about crop tops with dragons I think it's really hard to figure out like where that fine line is and where if that person's wearing it like do they actually understand like what they're wearing but I think there are other things like wearing uh cheng sam or qipao or whatever is definitely meant for a specific kind of person and meant for a specific kind of environment to wear in and it's not just fashion it's not just 
something that looks aesthetic and, and then I want to wear it because it makes me look pretty or sexy and I like the fabric. It's like really trying to dig deep into why or what the reason is that you are attracted to that and why you want to wear it. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to part one of our AAPI panel. Since this panel is so long, we'll be having a part two that's coming out very soon. So if you enjoyed this, don't forget to stay tuned. And please don't forget to follow all our panelists on social media to hear more about their small business and hear more about their views on AAPI hate and racism. And we'll see you next time. Bye.